Wednesday and welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Danny, And I'm Olivia. We are your co-hosts. And we're super excited to chat with y'all today because as promised last week, we are going to talk about Speak Now, Taylor's version, finally. Woo! Speak Now TV came out at this point at the time that this comes out um, almost two weeks ago. So we've had some time to marinate with it. As of right now, the time we're recording, it came out about a week ago. So not as much time, but I think enough time that at least for me, the recency bias has kind of melted away and allowed me to look at it with a little bit more of an objective lens. So I'm glad we waited. I definitely know that with Taylor Swift music, specifically new Taylor Swift, I generally need a few months to like have like true opinions. So consider this first impressions version of our opinions, because I don't think even two weeks is enough to definitively speak on the vault songs. Yeah, I haven't even gone back to listen to our like unofficially official Midnight's rankings because I just (laughs) know that whatever I said then I disagree with now because you're right. Absolutely. (laughs) Things change so fast with Taylor Swift opinions. So the only thing in this episode that I think we can be a little bit more surefire about are opinions on differences between the original and the Taylor's version, because those differences are objective. Those cannot change. And like, I mean, I feel like there's a few minor things that... I feel like opinions can change on over time, but overall, I think Speak Now Taylor's version was an amazing Taylor's version. It did what it was meant to do overall. Absolutely. And before we jump into it, there's two things we got to talk about. Number one, Olivia's birthday is tomorrow. Oh my God. (laughs) That's right, right? Did I get the date wrong? Right? No, yeah. I just... I literally, birthday is like the last thing on my brain. <laughs> so Olivia's birthday is tomorrow. So everybody tell her happy birthday. Oh. And second, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. We'll meet you back here in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Olivia and I were chatting about the best way to like concisely go through Speak Now TV. And I think what we landed on is we're going to quickly run through the album song by song by song and talk about what differences we noticed out the gate, how we feel about each song. Really shouldn't take too long. And a bulk of this episode will probably end up focusing on the vault tracks because that is what's new to us. So let's kick it off with mine. I was really nervous about mine because it opens up the album with just her vocals instead of an instrumental. I mean, I think it's really close to the original. I was telling Rebecca, my roommate, this earlier, that something that I like about Mine TV versus Mine OG is that the song Mine was supposed to be written in the idea of like a retrospective look back on a happy life. Mm-hmm. And hearing that from a 19 year old, it was beautiful. It's fine. It's a good song. But hearing that yeah. from the vocals of somebody where that could actually be applicable just hits different for me. Yeah, literally as a 19 uh, coming from the POV of a 19 year old, the song is very clearly a fictional imaginary scenario. I feel like that her being older changes the outlook of the song applies to several of these songs and I'm super into it. (laughs) I think that mine OG is great. And probably the biggest vocal difference that I noticed is in the chorus, when the lyric mine is saying the actual word mine, she closes the eye. Like it's not this dramatic, but just for sake, it's like mine. And then in Taylor's version, it's mine. So it's a really great example of tonality and of just vocal improvement yeah and with that being said though I feel like it's an amazing Taylor's version because it stays really really true to what the original was while still having those slight differences so I personally love my Taylor's versions to be very very close 
and it is pretty close, just with a little yeah. more skill, and I love that. Sparks fly. Out the gate, this one, the instrumental doesn't hit as hard as the OG does. I don't know if you feel that when you listen to it. I feel like the instrumental is a little subdued on Taylor's version. Interesting. I hadn't picked up on that. I'll have to go back and listen. But I felt like Sparks Fly was a really true capture of the OG. Again, just like with mine, though, with improved vocal skill. I really like Taylor's version of Sparks Fly. Yeah. I will say I kind of missed the little faux country twang on the you're a bad idea. (laughs) I miss that a lot. That's like one of my favorite elements of OG Sparks Fly. (laughs) That's so real. It's so interesting to hear on that song in particular where she tries to add in that like fake country twang (laughs) close enough to touch like she's trying to capture it and she just can't anymore and girly pop never had a real genuine southern accent she was absolutely playing that up for the industry and it's so (laughs) interesting to hear her be like now i gotta go back and try to tap into that again and i just can't and she goes from you're a bad idea to you're a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) i i really like this version though it's a lot of fun back to december This one I feel like was perfect for me. It's so similar to OG that on the first few listens, I can't really pick apart super specific moments where I feel like it's extremely different. I agree with you. And my theory about why that is, is because Back to December already was right in her sweet pocket of her vocal range. And she performed that song so well on the original when it came to vocal skill, when it came to tone. And so recreating it now, it's going to sound really similar because she doesn't do specific things like in Better Than Revenge that much better. She doesn't have to match a specific moment with Back to December. It's just a beautiful song with a lot of vocal skill. And it was then and it is now. Amazing. 10 out of 10. Speak now. So this is the first one where I start noticing her enunciation in Taylor's version because she's making me realize I misheard things. I've been mishearing things for 13 years. What did you mishear on Speak Now? Fond gestures are exchanged for 13 years of my existence. I thought it was fun gestures are exchanged. That's so funny. I can't wait to get into my misheard lyric later when we talk about I know. it. <laughs> I have more later too, so. <laughs> we need to compile these for our misheard lyrics episode, which by the way, a reminder, <laughs> dear Tay listeners, we do plan on doing a misheard lyrics episode probably at some point in season three, and we want to compile your misheard lyrics. So please send those off to us. Our contact info as always yeah. is at the end. The goofier, the better, honestly. Quite literally. I'm looking <laughs> at you. we are there with you. <laughs> I'm looking at you tossing panties in the pool. <laughs> Overall, though, with Speak Now as a song, I think that it matches pretty well. This is one of those songs, though, that, again, listening to it from the lens of somebody who's in their 30s versus somebody who's 19 just changes the song for me almost. Yeah, it's one of those that I feel like fits better on a teenage voice because it is just a very young juvenile song. I've seen a lot of people online say, like, people who can tell the difference outright between Taylor's adult voice and her teenage voice are lying. They're not that different. And I'm like, no, you're just not listening close enough. She sounds still like Taylor, but... (laughs) She had a really strong... Like, her sound was really, really teenage. It was really infantile and immature, and not because she wasn't talented and not in a bad way either. In the same way... In the same way that, like, Justin Bieber's baby was recorded in that voice and if he re-recorded it now it would be different because teenage voices are different than adult voices and they're just different one's not wrong yeah even for women like because I know like men go through like the voice dropping and everything but you can tell a difference with women too I don't sound the same as I did as a teenager or at least I hope I don't 
<laughs> I didn't know he was a teenager. So while I cannot confirm or deny, I would imagine statistically you do sound different. I know right. I do because like when I was in school, I was a soprano, like a soprano one. I was way high up there. And the older I've gotten, the more I have altoed out. I just have a deeper <laughs> voice. I don't mind it. It's just if I told 16-year-old me that whistle tones weren't my thing anymore and it was hitting deep notes, she would have been like, shut the fuck up. You loser. <laughs> You're a loser. You're an alto loser. Okay, okay. <laughs> Dear John. I love her mature voice on this one so much. It almost changes the tone of Dear John, but like not in a bad way. It's interesting. This is, again, one of those songs where hearing it from an adult voice and a teenage voice make them hit so differently because Dear John TV, to me, just sounds like the literal prequel to Would Have, Could Have, Should Have. Yeah. And I know that that's kind of what it was, but with a 13-year gap versus hearing it in her mature voice now, it's just, it's so wild to me. Yeah. you. It's like you hear her looking back on those times when she was 13 right which like she is when she's recording these songs and it you can tell that those feelings aren't as raw anymore but it still doesn't make it less painful I want to point out that you just said back when she was 13 she means 19 not when she was 13 I meant 13 years ago (laughs) my I know what you meant but I was like I need to just say that I mean I think it's a pretty good version here is my hot 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 take i actually wildly prefer the taylor's version of this song interesting i always liked og don't get me wrong i think dear john is an outstanding song on this album and in her whole discography but something about hearing it come from somebody of her age as somebody who's almost that age just knife in the chest yeah and here's a take that i was going to get into later but i'll say it here now This album, while I don't think it lacks emotion, which is kind of a criticism that she's gotten a lot for it, I don't necessarily agree with that. But you can tell, or at least I think you can tell, what things she's gotten over and what things she hasn't. And we'll get into a song here in a few where I think she's over it, wink, and as a result, it doesn't hit as hard. I still think she's got a lot of animosity towards John Mayer and the evidences and would have, could have, should have. So. The emotions hit really hard in this song for me because she still feels that way. But yeah, I mean, she's, I imagine, very defensive of her 19-year-old self who didn't know better. And like, now she does know better. And I know that when I look back on things that I experienced when I was a teenager that weren't fair and I didn't feel or I didn't like know that they weren't fair at the time, I'm still defensive of myself then, even though like me now is like over that situation. I'm not like still actively upset but if I get in the right headspace I'm wildly defensive of my teenage self because she didn't stick up for herself I 100% agree with you and I love that take because it's so funny at least for me if I look back on things I did when I was a teenager which were just dumb and if Mm -hmm. I'm like man that was dumb but then if my sister Kate who's known me my whole life goes yeah that was dumb I'm like hey you shut your whore mouth she didn't know better yeah I didn't I didn't know okay but I can look back and be like, ooh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I really feel the emotion with Dear John on this one. And just like carving out that quick moment to say, I don't think that it's that this album has a lack of emotion. I don't think that that's mm-hmm. it. I think that Taylor is human. And when you're in a recording booth, it's really hard to put on a show for things you don't care about as much anymore. Versus yeah. when she's performing to an audience, she's Tinkerbell, baby. She uses those claps to live. Literally, yeah. Live performance versus studio performance is just naturally different. I feel like it's much easier to get into the zone of the songs when you have your dancers dancing around you and the lights matching the mood of the song. Like it builds off of her performance, but locking herself in a studio, like she just has herself to bounce off of. Yeah, it's and, not going to hit the same. Yeah. And assuming she's still like doing her re recordings the same way that she explained for her fearless Taylor's version where she listens like line by line and then re-records line by line like listens to the line records the line listens to the line records the line it's kind of more difficult to capture that yeah kind of feeling and again if she's not feeling it now it is 
kind of outlandish to imagine that she could just tap into that same exact feeling. Yeah. Mean. All you're ever gonna be is mean. Why you gotta be so mean? This one makes me happy. I prefer Taylor's version. Ooh. To OG in the same way that you prefer Dear John to OG. I like listening to the song knowing that 32-year-old Taylor Swift, who has made it, is living in a big old city, has everything she could have ever dreamed of, and more is singing the song in retrospect. I like that take. She believes it. I really hear yeah. in the Taylor's version, she believes it. Like, one day I will be living in a big old city because I did. And in the original, I don't think that it's that she didn't fully believe it but she was kind of manifesting versus yeah. actually fully believing in herself yeah the same girl that wrote and recorded mean is the same girl that wrote and recorded castles crumbling which we'll get there and talk more in depth later in the episode but i think it was like wishful thinking when she was 19 years old and now it's like <laughs> i told you as an adult I completely agree. And I also think she does a great job of tapping into that faux country accent we were talking about. <laughs> I I think that she really felt this one with her chest. And so she had the ability to tap back into that country yeah. mindset. Because it's still applicable to her, which is why she was able to like properly emulate the emotion. The story of us. And the story of us looks a lot like a tragedy now. Next chapter. I'm going to let you open with this one since this is your favorite on Speak Now. Okay. So I saw a tweet that I wish that I could unread. So dear mm-hmm. listener, I'm sorry that you have to hear this, but if I had to hear it, so do you. Somebody said, the story of us TV is great, but it does sound like she's singing karaoke of her own song. And I can't get that out of my head because then I listened to it again and I was like, man, It kind of does. And I think that part of that is what we know about the song, The Story of Us, is it was the last song recorded for the album. Mm -hmm. She had that really awkward run-in with John Mayer at the CMT Awards in June of 2010, and then immediately went to the studio, recorded the song, and then said, that's the album, it's done. Yeah, that was like fresh feelings. Really feeling it. And in the original one, you can really feel that she felt it with her whole chest. And in this one, it's a really good example of focusing on her vocal skill over trying to tap into that emotion, which isn't wrong, but it is noticeable as somebody who is a story of us, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, this is kind of the nature of Taylor's version, right? I always comfort myself with stuff like this, with the fact that she's devaluing her original masters for a reason. That's not just like own her own work. Like she's owning Taylor's version. It's so that by the end of everything, when all is said and done, she's the only one who's willing to buy her masters. She's the only one possible for them to be sold to. So we're not going to be without the OGs forever. I know. I'm just like holding on. The biggest example, like the most poignant example of this in the story of us for me is at the end of the song when she sings the lyrics and I'm dying to know, is it killing you? Like it's killing me. In the original, pardon my singing there. But in the original, you hear so much angst in that and it almost you can picture like, her like screaming out of like passion instead of just hitting notes yeah it almost sounds like she didn't even write it to be that way she just really felt herself and went up in notes in that moment yeah. at the octave and it that part does sound a little karaoke-ish I'm not gonna lie however because her vocal skills have improved hearing that full song like really in her chest voice is awesome that point before I forget it something that Rebecca had said earlier that I want to mention now is because her vocal skill again I'm saying vocal skill a lot in this episode because it's really important but yes. when you grow your range and you really sharpen up and hone your skills when it comes to vocals your chest voice expands what you can sing using your chest voice versus your head voice are different and the best example I can give if you're listening and you don't know the difference there's ha and then there's ha there's a difference yeah, between like singing two. through your mouth versus your nose I feel like exactly and that's kind of how it feels and Taylor because her chest voice has expanded with age and with a lot of practice she can't just fake her head voice as much which makes her sound more mature makes it sound mm-hmm. more skillful but also can take away a little bit of the emotion because the head voice is what makes it sound really passionate in a lot of cases yeah 
Piggybacking off of what you said about it sounding like a karaoke track, I think the instrumentals also do that to the song as well. Similar to Sparks Light, for me, I don't feel like the instrumentals went as hard for Taylor's version. I will agree with that. The Story of Us OG instrumentals that it sounds like you're jamming and now it just it sounds like Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero comparison so on the spot. And like, it's fine. It does its job, right? It'll hold us off until she owns Speak Now OG again. But we can tell. (laughs) We can tell. And also, like, every time the story of us comes on, I have the complete inability to stop myself from singing anyway. So it's not like I can hear her as it is. Exactly, right? It's my own karaoke. (laughs) I will say, uh, this is another example of her enunciation because there was another Miss Her lyric by yours truly. And you were shook when I told you this one. You were like, how did you hear? So she says, the twist of fate when it all broke down. And I thought it was the twisted day when it all broke down. Because that makes sense, right? <laughs> I, I st- like, it does make sense. And we talked about that before of things that we miss here often literally make sense. And if they don't, we just assume Taylor is smarter than us. Mm-hmm. That one really shocks me because I'm like, I can't even hear that. Twisted day when it all broke down. I, I don't know what to say since twist of fate. I, whatever. It's, it's okay. Fun. You misheard a lyric in one of my faves too. So, All right. So moving into Whiplash here, we got Never Grow Up. Like that. Oh, darling, don't you ever grow up. Don't you ever grow up. Just stay this this one was similar enough to OG. I don't know. I didn't feel passionate about OG anyway. So yeah, I think it's a pretty good recreation. Again, you can tell that it's from a more mature voice, but I don't think that that's a detriment to a song like Never Grow Up personally. I feel like it almost adds to it, honestly, because like there's a nuance in hearing, which I'd never grown up from a 32 year old versus a 19 year old, like 19 year old Taylor, you're still not grown up. (laughs) Yeah, girl, you can't drink legally. I don't want to hear it from you. (laughs) It, it literally just reminds me of someone who's like 20 being like, oh, I'm so grown. And I'm like, I'm not even grown. Just and I'm 26. <laughs> enchanted. This one, I feel like she did a very, very, very good job on. And I bet you that's because of the recent Enchanted hype. I think you're probably right. And you mentioned earlier about how with Fearless recording, she listened line by line. Enchanted doesn't have a lot of lyrics. Yeah. Like a lot of it's repetitive. The please don't be in love with someone else. Please don't have somebody waiting on you. This night is sparkling. Don't you let it go. So much of that is repetitive. So she didn't have to learn a bunch of different nuances in a song like she yeah. would have for I don't know, any other song in her discography, frankly. Yeah. And it's a beautiful song, but I feel like the OG's lyrics weren't also delivered super, super, like, passionately either. It was just, like, whimsical and beautiful, which is, I feel like, easier to emulate. Better Than Revenge. This is the one you all were waiting for. She should keep in mind, she should keep in mind, there is nothing I do better than revenge. Oh, Yeah. So we we needed to talk about the elephant in the room and talk about the lyric change. For those of you who may not know, in the original version of the song and the chorus, the lyric says, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. And in the Taylor's version of the song, the lyric was swapped out for the less misogynistic, he was a moth to the flame, she was holding the matches. And we thought this might be coming because Taylor doesn't love that lyric, but we were all kind of waiting to see if she was going to keep it or change it because she hasn't performed it in a very long time, presumably because of that specific lyric. Mm -hmm. That's like the initial, like this is the first song on Taylor's version that we listened to. You know, what's funny is that I have a very similar feeling to this lyric change as I do to the complete stylistic change of Girl at Home, where I'm like, what the heck? Why'd you do that? Here's the difference. Girl at Home is not a fan favorite. It's Olivia's least favorite Taylor Swift song, as we always mention. It's not something that people listen to or reach for most of the time. And I know we have like at least one Girl at Home stand who's listening to this. Like, I unstand this podcast. Listen, that song is yours. 
like all yours. Like you, you don't have to compete. Have that can be at your era show. <laughs> <laughs> but I I don't know why she did. I know why she did it, right? It was to make a statement. I wish she hadn't. I wish she had taken the Haley Williams Paramore track of reclaiming it and being like, we know it's not this way anymore, but the artistic integrity needs to stand. And the way it was written is the way that it was written. And also something else that I saw pointed out on TikTok by Will Talks Music. I love Will Talks Music. He's great. And he gives really good commentary, particularly about Taylor Swift. And one thing that he said was taking that line out and replacing it doesn't make the song any less quote unquote problematic. Mm -hmm. And my build off of that is the song itself is really angry and passionate. And then there's that one line that doesn't feel that way. And then she just goes back to it. I kind of feel wildly neutral. I am one of the people that anticipated a lyric change. I, for me, with like how I imagined Taylor Swift to be, it was going to go either one of two ways. One, with a lyric change, or two, recorded disclaimer before the song kicked off. Because I, I couldn't imagine a world where Taylor allowed she's better known for the things that she does in the mattress to just go out in the world without her like explaining herself or making a statement that she's like, that was fucked up. Uh, so I wasn't personally shocked because I anticipated the lyric change. And I think it's one of those things that I don't mind, but I'm not like the biggest better than revenge stan. I love it for the pettiness, but I also like, I don't need the OG to jam out to it. I just, I don't reach for it. You know, I'm not as surprised, I guess. I also will say that I think that people are taking it a little bit too seriously and taking a little bit too far. Again, don't get me wrong. I really wish that she had stuck with the original lyrics personally because I think that that adds a lot of passion to the song. That's kind of where I stand on it is that I feel like removing that lyric, again, doesn't make it necessarily less problematic. But people who are like, well, I'm only going to stream the original. I'm like, that is that is really the hill you're going to die on? Yeah, like that's dramatic. And I don't know, I definitely agree that it doesn't make the song less misogynistic, but I feel like that one line is what she felt like took it levels too far. Like Girl at Home, I think is misogynistic. She made that one more lighthearted with her like remix or whatever, even though, whatever, I don't know. I'm not passionate about Girl at Home, so it's fine. But I feel like with Better Than Revenge, he was a moth to the flame she was holding the matches you know doesn't really fit in with like the more juvenile lyrics of better than revenge so i'm i'm definitely pro lyric change but i wish that she would have matched the vocabulary of better than revenge Mm -hmm. some other notes just about this song i think that the ad libs are enhanced on this which i kind of love the the (laughs) background stuff sounds almost Better like revenge dark you know what you did like it's so funny hearing <laughs> like, these ad-libs so I like that those are enhanced I think it kind of brings up the kitschiness and campiness of the song mm-hmm. I wish god how I wish that she was in a bad mood when she recorded this song because I miss the much better Yeah, the much better outro. She didn't do the much better outro justice. That's my favorite part of the song. That's the only part that like, like change the lyrics to uh, whatever you want, but keep the much better. (laughs) I wanted angst and I didn't get angst. And this is the example I was talking about with Dear John earlier, where you can tell she's over it. She doesn't care anymore. And she's like embarrassed of this song. (laughs) She doesn't feel this way anymore. She's talked about... In the Vogler Long Pond sessions, she said there's this idea that there's this evil girl, and that's usually not actually the case. Like, yes, Taylor, I get it. You had your growth arc. We all know you had your growth arc. You can at least pretend to be angry, please, as a crumb. I bet you, though, she may have done it had her and Camilla Bell ever made up. And And they they didn't. Certainly did not. So I think she probably looks back on this song and what that did to Camilla Bell and what she made Camilla Bell feel during this time and feels a lot of guilt and a lot of responsibility for that during the time. And her kind of lessening the blow by changing the lyric and making it sound less 
emotional is like what she could do at this point. Mm-hmm. Innocent. I'll kick us off. I don't really care about Innocent very much. I want us to have an episode on this song at some point, and I'm sure that we will. But this song has never really made a whole lot of sense to be about Kanye West to me in the first place. Like, the verses (laughs) almost sound patronizing. And it's just, it never made sense. It's not like he was sorry about what he did or even, even saw the problems in what he did. So I always thought it was a bizarre move for her to write a song about him anyway. So it's never really been one that I've been drawn to. However... With her actual 32-year-old vocal singing it, I like to pretend like it was never about Kanye West. It's about her and self-reflection and thinking it's okay if I make (laughs) mistakes. I'm still growing up now. It's probably like what she thinks about now when she sings it. Because at the time, I feel like this is what she hoped. She didn't know Kanye West well, didn't know he wasn't sorry. He probably like gave her a very blase, I'm sorry, dumb shit or not and I'm sorry but he complimented her and didn't actually say sorry and she was just so desperate to have friends that were more famous than her and keep like things cool that she's like I forgive you I know you're a good person and she wanted that publicly for herself right but I feel like 32 year old Taylor recording this now knows that that was never how Kanye was and so is able to like apply it more to herself than anything I agree, which is why you can still actually hear the passion in the song, but I don't think it's because it's about Kanye. I don't think she's thinking about him at all. I think she's thinking about herself. Exactly. To that point, because I don't love the song Innocent, there are probably nuances and differences that I just didn't catch because I frankly don't care enough. Sorry, Innocent stands. I, yeah, I agree with that. I don't, I can't say I know the original well enough to cherry pick differences like I did with the next song coming up. Which is haunted. Olivia, you got to take this one because this is like your all-time favorite Taylor Swift song. I wrote in my notes, similar enough to OG to be acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Break that down for me. I mean, there are slight differences in the instrumental, not enough that I feel passionate about, but I can tell, I can hear it, right? And her vocals are definitely beautiful and polished, and it sounds great, but there's just something so special about Feral Speak Now, Taylor's vocals on this track, because the song is a little bit feral, so having, like, feral teenage vocals kind of gave it that extra oomph for me. What's interesting is when I imagine Taylor songs, particularly older Taylor songs, I can picture where I imagine her singing them in that moment. And for some reason, Haunted, I always imagine some really dramatic, she's like begging someone and she's like slapping the ground. Like I imagine um, Illicit Affairs or My Tears Ricochet on the Eras Tour level angst and passion when I hear OG. And when I hear Taylor's version, I hear her almost like on this big Broadway stage wearing a big dress and long sleeves, like begging, like, you're not gone, you can't be gone. Like I don't hear angsty begging on the ground teen and I want to really emphasize that there isn't one that is better than the other there's just one that we're far more familiar with and that's going to take some time yeah and like they're both good they're both good performances and you can really tell that she cares about this song because her delivery was amazing it really was it's just she doesn't have that raw voice anymore she can't force that she can't And I did see, I'm sure you've seen this on TikTok, people are talking about how if your Spotify settings are set a certain way, then the strings sound off. But if you have your Spotify settings set the way they're supposed to be, the strings are more passionate. And somebody said it sounds the way that it should have sounded in the first place. So you haven't seen this? I know. (laughs) I'll have to send it to you to see your opinion as the haunted stan. To that point. I feel like the OG strings were perfectly wonderful <laughs> no 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 not og sorry tv so oh, like, they're saying tv was like the tv spotify better. if you're listening on spotify it's off unless you have your settings set a certain way interesting i know huh. i know but to that point the lyric that i missed on this one my entire life i thought it was <laughs> something's gone totally wrong and it's terribly she terribly. emphasizes the lyrics in this song in this version <laughs> 
Yeah, I love, this is probably one of my favorite things about the Taylor's versions is our whole world's getting shook when she properly enunciates things. How many times have we sung this together and I've just sung totally wrong? Apparently I sing loud enough that I didn't hear you. <laughs> okay, last kiss. I never thought we'd ever let You know, the, the thing that we're all, we're all like anxious for is the shaky breath. Beautiful day, something reminds you. you wish there was no shaky breath. I'm personally not surprised, but I was hopeful. <laughs> I'm so upset about it. Like, not actually that upset. Again, I'll move on. I'm just going to have my own shaky breath because I'm always crying at that point in the song anyway. But she knows how much it means to us and she couldn't even fake it. No. And she like took a like a a deep breath in that spot too as if she was like trying to give us a breath but we're like we're like taylor it's not the breath it's the shaky <laughs> it's the shaky part and i wish that like after she and joe alwyn had broken up she'd been like i gotta go do that one again <laughs> so she could capture okay, that you know what she should have done oh boy ronin got a shaky breath on taylor's version she should have sung ronin a couple times and then have to <laughs> Like, I wanted her sad. I wanted her sad for this one, and I don't hear it, which is crazy, because today, as of the day we're recording this, she released the live from Kansas City Last Kiss version, which Olivia and I were there for. You can but hear us if you listen close. <laughs> you can hear her angst and her sadness and her emotion in that one so raw and so real. So I'm like, I knew you had it in you. That's there. That's her on her live performances, right? Building off the hype of the audience, Taylor. But other than that, I feel like Last Kiss was very, very well done. You can also tell she cares about this song. It's pretty true. I'm pretty true to the original. Long live. Long live the walls we crashed through. How the kingdom lights shine. Long live. I feel like it's similar enough to OG, right? Like, it definitely sounds different, but in a way that enhances it, hearing Long Live from her at this time in her career makes it way more special. I would agree I with I you think. because something that's really interesting about Long Live Now versus Long Live Then, and again, very obvious, so I'm just saying something everybody listening probably knows, is that Long Live Back Then when she was 19, she really believed that her career had kind of hit its apex, mm -hmm. and that's why that song was written. Although at the time, I didn't love Long Live because I was, I remember being like 13, 14, or whatever, and being like, okay, Taylor Swift, your career's not over, and you know that. Spoiler, she didn't know that, but that's I was so funny. Because in 2010, I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was a about a boy really yeah I didn't listen that hard because like it didn't hit that hard for me so I didn't listen very hard uh well it's aged like wine like the more famous she gets and the more well-rounded her career becomes the harder that song hits and I didn't love that song back in the day because that's how I felt but when you hear it now looking back on it and Taylor Swift looking back on it it's a really emotional song of yeah yeah we we kept crashing through walls and fighting dragons and this just didn't stop and it could stop at any day but i don't think she felt even mildly fulfilled after fearless came out and now while i still don't think she feels fulfilled i don't think it's easy to satiate her desire to create and to be in the spotlight by any means but she's a lot happier now with how her career has gone than she was 13 years ago yeah i mean she's always breaking records and that's always i feel like what she strives for i don't think she realized how much she was capable of at the time of OG Long Live. I think it's pretty true to the original and the parts that aren't just kind of add some power. Yeah. For me. Absolutely. So our a couple of bonus tracks here. We have ours. The waters are rough, but this love is ours. Close enough to OG. Thumbs up, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I'll write about ours. It's okay. It's good. It's cute. She yeah. nailed it don't have a whole lot of commentary it doesn't sound as juvenile but it's not going to yeah i have no trouble with that either mm -mm. superman same thing it works i, I like ours <laughs> quite a bit more than superman superman's one of my least favorite taylor swift songs yeah it works it's close enough yeah good job
<laughs> so before we go into the vault tracks and talk about our feelings about that, I wanted to read something off and you've probably heard this, Olivia, I know you have. And <laughs> dear listener, I'm certain that you've seen this somewhere online and it's going to take me a couple of minutes to read. So feel free to skip forward if you've already heard it. But I want to read off the prologue that Taylor gave to her fans when so she announced good. the album, because what she gave out to the general public is a lot different than what she wanted her fans to read when they opened up their vinyls or CDs. So oh. I'm going to read it as quickly as I can without going too fast. Prologue. When I think back on the Speak Now album, I get a lump in my throat. I have a feeling it will always be that way because this period of time was so vibrantly aglow with the last light of the setting sun of my childhood. I made this album, completely self-written, between the ages of 18 and 20. I've spoken about how I feel like those ages are the most emotionally turbulent ones in a person's life. Maybe when I say that, I'm really just talking about myself. I think they might just be the most idealistic, hopeful years too. At this point in my life, I had released my second album, Fearless. It became the breakthrough moment I'd always dreamt of, one that catapulted my career to new realms of success. It had brought with it a tidal wave of pressures and pitfalls and growing pains. All the while, I was encountering the milestones and checkpoints of normal teenage growth. I had cataclysmic crushes and brushes with heartache. I moved out of my parents' house and set my bags down in a new apartment. I hung photos on my own walls and decorated the space where I would sob and cackle and shatter and dream. Sometimes I felt like a grown-up, but a lot of the time I just wanted to time travel back to my childhood bed where my mom would read stories to me until I fell asleep. In my darker moments, I was tormented by the doubt that swirled loudly around my ascent and my merits as an artist. I was trying to create a follow-up to the most awarded country album in history while staring directly into the face of intense criticism. I had been widely and publicly slammed for my singing voice and was first encountering the infuriating question that has unfortunately still lobbed me to this day. Does she really write her songs? Spoiler alert, I really, really do. In the years since, I've developed a thicker skin about public criticism and the cynicism with which some people approach the music I make. At that time, it leveled me. I had these voices in my head telling me that I had had the perfect chance and I blew it. I hadn't been good enough. I had given it all and I'd been found wanting. I wanted to get better, to challenge myself, and to build on my skills as a writer, an artist, and a performer. I didn't want to just be handed respect and acceptance in my field. I wanted to earn it. To try and confront these demons, I underwent extensive vocal training and made a decision that would completely define this album. I decided I would write it entirely on my own. I figured they couldn't give all the credit to my co-writers if there weren't any. But that posed a new challenge. It really had to be good. If it wasn't, I'd be proving my critics right. I had no idea how much this pain would shape me. That this is the beginning of my series of creative choices made by reacting to setbacks with defiance. That my stubbornness in the face of doubters and dissenters would become my coping mechanism through my entire career from that point forward. This exact pattern of enacting my own form of rebellion when I feel broken is exactly why you're reading these very words and I'm re-releasing this album now. I went through my first worldwide scandal, the mic grab seen around the world. I experienced the weirdness of trying to get to know a boy while a swarm of paparazzi surrounded the cars. Media contacting my publicist for an official statement on why two teenagers broke up. These are weird experiences to have at any age, but even more surreal when you're 19. I had the nagging sense that in the most intense moments of my life, I'd frozen. I'd said nothing publicly. I still don't know if it was out of instinct, not wanting to seem impolite, or just overwhelming fear. But I made sure to say it all in these songs. I decided to call the album Speak Now. It was a play on the Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace moments and weddings, but for me it symbolized a chance to respond to the chatter and commentary about my own life. Some of these emotional revelations were surprising to people. Some expected anger and instead got compassion and empathy with Innocent. Some expected a kiss-off breakup song, but instead got a hand-on-heart apology back to December. It was an album that was the most precious to me because of its extremes. It was unfiltered and potent. In my mind, the saddest song I've ever written is Last Kiss. My most scathing is Dear John, and my most wistfully romantic is Enchanted. I'll be forever proud of setting a goal and seeing it through. I'll always feel shivers all over when I remember singing Long Live to close the show of Every Night on Tour. The outstretched hands of those bright and beautiful faces of the fans. Their support was like an open palm that reached out and helped me off the ground when others were, frankly, mean. 
These days, I make my choices for those people, the ones who thought I had been good enough all along. I try to speak my mind when I feel strongly, in the moment I feel it. I'm still idealistic and earnest about the music I make, but I'm less crushed when people mock me for it. I know now that one of the bravest things a person can do is create something with unblinking sincerity to put it all on the line. I still sometimes wish I was a little kid again, in a tiny bed, before I ever grew up. I always looked at this album as my album, and the lump in my throat expands to a quivering voice as I say this. Thanks to you, dear reader, it finally will be. I consider this music to be, along with your faith in me, the best thing that's ever been mine. Yours, Taylor. I love her. I know. Literally just reading that prologue makes me want to cry. All of her prologues are so good. Sorry if, like, the people listening who are like, I've already heard this, but I was trying to capture the emotion that I imagine with which she wrote it. Probably most importantly, something that Rebecca had said earlier was that the title Speak Now really makes sense listening to it now and through all of the songs of I've never heard silence quite this loud, all the way to actual Speak Now of and we're not speaking, to back to December, this is me swallowing my pride and standing in front of you saying I'm sorry for that night. This is a really well put album about the things that you said, you didn't say, and the things you wish you had. Absolutely. And can you believe that there are still people that were like, she should have renamed it Enchanted like she originally wanted. That was the draft. <laughs> that was the draft. Enchanted would have been a great title for PR at the time. Speak Now is what the album is about. Yep. So let's talk about the vault tracks. Absolutely. Let's kick it off at the top of the vault tracks with Electric Touch featuring Fallout Boy. You know, I expected more from this song, considering it's featuring Fall Out Boy. Let your talented features sing. <laughs> you know what's funny is that there's occasions where she does. Like, I think that Phoebe's feature in Nothing New was remarkable and so well put. And I think that when she did the Bleachers version of Antihero and used a lot of Bleachers sound influence and Jack's voice, I think that was great. And then sometimes it's the original Snow on the Beach. Yeah, before more her for more Lana. <laughs> and the more Lana version bodies the original. Yeah. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's, fine. it's, it's okay. Song. It's good. It's just never going to be a favorite of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that there aren't elements of the song that I really enjoy. It's just like the best part of the song for me is the run on the word touch. Like, I really like that. I like the instrumental. I just, I see why it didn't make the original album because I don't, think it's anything outstanding in this album or in her discography alone. It's nice background music. When Emma falls in love. And all the bad boys would be good boys if they only had a chance to love her. And to tell you the truth, sometimes I wish I was This is exactly the the vibe I expected, honestly. I expected a cutesy, beautiful, kind of more simplistic styled song. And it's very, very special. It's about one of her besties for the Rusties. We know it's Emma Stone. Yeah. <laughs> People talking yeah. about which Emma is it? Watson, Roberts, or Stone? And I'm like, y'all, y'all, <laughs> we've been new. All of the edits <laughs> of Emma Stone with Andrew Garfield to the song. I'm like, I knew that they were coming, but they just make me emo now. Yeah. When she sung it, Kansas City Night One, she said, I wrote this song about one of my best friends. Yeah. And I beautiful. didn't like love love it out the gate because I saw it as a secret song in Casey Night One I guess I'll always have a little bit more of an attachment to it the lyric Mm -hmm. like if Cleopatra grew up in a small town is really off-putting to me for some reason 19 year old Taylor you know wrote some bangers she also wrote Superman (laughs) she also wrote Superman (laughs) can't win them all I guess I love the piano in the song and I really love the melody and I like like self-actualization moment at the end of the chorus of to tell you the truth sometimes I wish I was her yeah I wonder what Emma Stone thinks of it very very sweet I'm also jealous of every girl named Emma for real can you imagine being really close with Taylor Swift and her being like so I wrote this song about you and her playing it for you like on her piano in her living room no I literally can't imagine that cry 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 (laughs) cry 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 all right I can see you I can see you, 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 I can see you,
This is my absolute favorite. Speaking of ultra, oh yeah, I think it's everybody's <laughs> sure. hers too. Yeah, it's so good. Something that you said after we That's saw the music funny. video in Kansas City was Taylor's genius because we can kind of assume that this song is about yeah. John Mayer redacted, <laughs> but we can we can assume that based on a lot of things. It could be about Martin Johnson with Boys Like Girls. We haven't deep dove that on the pod yet, so yeah. If it is about somebody she didn't have a great relationship with, which I'm assuming that it was, making it a music video about getting her masters back was genius because that totally overshadowed what yep. the song was written about. Exactly. Because, I mean, on the first listen, we were like, oh, my God, who was this about, Taylor? <laughs> the online fandom was also doing it. And then she immediately, like, squashed that conversation with her music video. I will say, just to reignite the conversation, people are like, it's about Taylor Lautner because he was in the music video. Y'all, if you have not listened to it, I need you to go listen to the Taylor Lautner episode. She did not like him that much. Like, that makes me so frustrated because it doesn't matter how beautiful of an I'm sorry breakup song she wrote. She didn't make it right. She didn't try to get back together with him. If she tried to get back together with him, I'm sure him at the time would have been down. She did it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, she did not see him up against the wall with her. <laughs> That's No, like, she looked back on her relationship with him and wished she had felt that passionately about him because he was so good to her. Uh-huh. And, like, let's be real. And we talk about this so much in the John Mayer episode and the Taylor Lautner episode itself. You know, 19-year-old girls, despite what, 19-year-old women, despite what society says, they're horny, okay? They are it's not just guys that age. They want to fuck. They just do. And I can see you up against the wall with me. I imagine her publicist and her mother were like, absolutely not. That's getting buried in a vault. Locking that away. Literally. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> but it was somebody who ignited horny 19-year-old Taylor. And I don't believe that it was Taylor Lautner, even though he did that for a lot of girls across the world. It was not him. I really think based on her commentary about John Mayer and based on the way that he really wanted her to be some sort of like sexual muse for him. I think that that's where that's coming from. Again, we'll talk about yeah. I Can See You much later on. It doesn't matter who it's about. Yeah. What matters is that 19-year-old Taylor had sexual feelings and it shouldn't have been taboo for her to talk about them then and it's not taboo for her to talk about them now. Young women should be allowed to talk about their sexual desires and I think that's a lot more prevalent now. It's a lot more normalized now. Poor young Taylor, who couldn't even say a lyric. It's really not that naughty, and I can see you up against the wall with me. But she mm -hmm. felt like she couldn't release that at the time. Yeah, and it's, you know, either she was told no, or she felt too embarrassed to, you know? Like, this has the potential of having been in the middle of the night thoughts, like, secret songwriting session that she just, like, kept close to her chest because, you know, she had a goody two-shoes reputation if you will at the time so she was already insecure about her career failing which we can see in so many of her songs during this time so I bet she didn't want to cause any teetering yeah rock that boat for sure it's so funny because I'm pretty sure I was like I can see you I'm not super interested by <laughs> in, our, in yeah. our predictions episode oh and then she hits us with the uh uh, uh. <laughs> yeah we were all gagged and the music video again is great. It's such a good song. Like the instrumentals, her like variations in her styles of vocals is just a really good song. We move on to Castles Crumbling. I had such high hopes for this song. And if if I thought that she underutilized Fallout Boy, I think that it's criminal the way she underutilized Haley Williams in this track. And to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that this song is not sung solo. This is about her struggle, her specifically. And if the argument is, well, she had Phoebe Bridgers on Nothing New, yeah, Phoebe Bridgers also feels that feeling because all women in the industry feel that feeling. I don't believe and I don't think and there's no evidence that Haley Williams feels the idea of castles crumbling as intimately as Taylor Swift did when she wrote this song. And again, there's no belting. There's no real reason for Haley to be on it. I would have rather seen her on Electric Touch and seen Haley belt the chorus at some point. My rationality is in my head, this song is 
about how she thought everyone was booing her at the VMAs when Kanye like took the mic and it made her and it kind of like stirred up a bunch of shit in the media right a lot of people Mm -hmm. starting to harshly criticize her because she was up against Beyonce and beat Beyonce and Kanye pointed it out like it probably would have flown under the radar anyway Beyonce won video of the year she didn't need to win best female video and I think the media stir of this caused a lot of insecurities for Taylor that her career was ending, her castles were crumbling. And remember how Haley Williams did not reach out to Taylor until after the VMA incident. I bet you Haley was there for her for a lot of those dark moments. And so it was kind of like a comfort support for her to have on the song. I will agree with you. The lyrics I do really enjoy. The music on it is kind of lackluster to me. But the lyrics, I think, are really intimate, and it's like the anti-Long Live. I get why she didn't put it on the original album, because frankly, I wouldn't either. And I really like when she uses castles as a way to describe her career. Build a castle out of all the bricks they threw at me from New Romantics. And, of course, my castle crumbled crumbled overnight. overnight And call it what you want. So... Mm -hmm. We know that she's felt like her career is a castle that she's constantly building onto for a long time. And the castle's crumbling as a title has been floating around in the fandom for a very long time. So that was a really personal song. I know I shouldn't release it. Musically, not outstanding to me. Lyrically, really poignant, really beautiful. Yeah, I was definitely a little disappointed off the bat because I love Paramore. And it's not what I expected from a Haley Williams feature, but I will say it's growing on me. So it's been stuck in my head for the past few days however I will say that the vibe of this song is straight up what I expected from Midnight's when she was teasing this will be my darkest album ever this is the vibe that I expected from Midnight's and I can see you honestly (laughs) right okay my sleeper hit foolish one You know, when I first heard Foolish One, I was like, that's fine. And it has grown so significantly for me. And if I saw I saw a TikTok that was like, imagine if I'd heard the song Foolish One instead of Enchanted when I was 15 and how it would have completely changed the trajectory of my life. And how real is that? That's really funny. Because <laughs> hearing the you are not you the are exception not would have changed my life taylor why didn't you release this back then but i like that it's really quite frankly dark lyrics and the melody foolish fun stuff like you can just move your hands what was i saying to you last night on the phone olivia and i were talking and i was like doing that melody and i was like he's never gonna love you you're being an idiot like that's basically what the lyrics are but really pretty you're really not that special (laughs) he doesn't love you and he never ever will I I see why it was never original. Like her her publicist is like, you cannot release that for teenage girls to listen to. <laughs> like you will be responsible for self help hotlines being understaffed. Oh, I God. like it a lot though. I like it more now than I did on the first listen by a lot. Yeah, it's cute for me, but it's probably. Mm. Oh wait, I want to hear your rankings at the end, so you got to think about this. It's cute, but. <laughs> Okay, the last song on the album, the one that I thought was going to be my favorite, is Timeless. I really like Timeless. There are a couple lyrics, like, leading into the chorus, like, in a crowded street in 1944, and you're going off to fight the war, or in 1500s off in a foreign land, and I was forced to marry another man. I get that the idea is supposed to be romantic, and I feel like it's really tied together with the lyric, because I believe that we were supposed to find this. I think that's the best lyric in the whole song for me. Mm -hmm. But the examples that she gave were really fucking bizarre. It very much gives privileged white girl romanticizing history. (laughs) That's exactly what it gives. And I can't see past it. Oh, no. That's that's my struggle is like, I love the idea of you and I would have been timeless because I believe we were supposed to find this. 
And then I'm like, but for most of history, love wasn't a driver of being together. It was business. And also, if you were a different race or you were didn't have a big dowry or you weren't born into wealth or whatever, it didn't matter. And for some reason, I can't get past the logistics of a song that's supposed to be whimsical. That's so funny. <laughs> that's my own bad. I love the song personally, though I will say, watching the lyric video, like, ruined us. We were both sobbing on our first listen, right? Because I don't think the message of the song is very, very clear, which is kind of why I feel like it was a vault track, why I didn't make the original cut. It it implies that the man died <laughs> to me, at least. That's why I was crying on the first listen. I was like, oh my God. And so I was crying because I thought he died. And I'm like, how did Taylor Swift's grandpa die? Yeah, he died of old age. So <laughs> yeah, it so, makes it sound like he died in the war. He did not literally die in the war. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> so I think the song is a little, the lyrics are a little misleading. And what she's trying to get across is our life together was so amazing. I know we would have worked out at any time, but that's not what it sounds like. It sounds like this widowed wife is walking into an antique shop and reminiscing on her like tragic love. And <laughs> I also thought that it was about her grandfather dying, which <laughs> very weird, yeah. news, whatever. But I hear like, we're soulmates. It doesn't matter. We could have been born in any era as anything. And we would have found each other because we're soulmates. And I'm like, God, that's so cute. And then you're right. The lyric video, it's like, what is she trying to convey here? Yeah. For those of you who are familiar with Outlander, it kind of gives some Outlander vibes to me. But (laughs) (laughs) we're the Outlander timeless. Forced to marry another man, you know, if you know, you know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have you thought of your ranking? So I just did my ranking real quick, and I thought I had an idea of where things were going to stand, but it's different than what I expected. Okay. Number six, mine is Electric Touch. Same easy. Okay. I feel like we gave good reasonings for that. Mm-hmm. Number five, Castle's Crumbling. When Emma Falls in Love. Okay. Number four, I have When Emma Falls in Love. A foolish one. Number three, I have Timeless. I also have Timeless. Okay. Number two is Foolish One. Mine is Castle's Crumbling. Oh, interesting. Okay. And number one, let's just say it together. I can I see, can see you. you. <laughs> it gets the wall with me. It's just- On repeat. Repeat. It's the song of the summer. Repeat. <laughs> it's just, it's the best ball track. It's so good. Um, it's in such an interesting key. <laughs> I love it. I think it's what great. What a bad time for it to be competing with Cruel Summer, man. Is it officially a single? I mean, it, she made a music video. Mm. Okay. What did you Taylor learn this week? I tailored that you now listen to the story of us as Taylor singing karaoke. <laughs> You know what I Tay learned? That it's something's gone terribly wrong and not totally wrong. I will not <laughs> get over that. How did I mishear it for so That's long? That's so funny. And she enunciates that terribly. Like in the original, it's like, something's gone totally wrong. And in Taylor's version, it's something's gone terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Olivia, what are we talking about next week? Next week is going to be fun this is the first time we've done anything like this we are gonna do an extension of our muses series because at this point we feel like we've kind of run out of the longer bigger relationships that we know of with taylor with the exception of joe alwyn but that's gonna be a while yeah yeah except for joe alwyn but we need more information before we deliver to you the story of Joe Alwyn. We need Taylor's next like full album. We need more time to see if there's any interviews or anything that helped to allude to what happened. We don't have enough information to comfortably speculate on the situation. So we're going to give that time. But in the meantime, things have happened since our last Muses episodes, particularly the John Mayer Muses episode, which is our most popular episode to date. So we're going to call it the Muses John Mayer from the vault. 
And it's everything that happened since that, <laughs> that episode that we posted before Midnight's even came out. Super excited about that one because we released our John Mayer episode before what could have should have came out. So I'm excited <laughs> to have some more nuanced conversation about yes. John Mayer at this point. You can always find us on Instagram and on TikTok. And please do. We are at Learning Podcast. Shoot us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. I really want to reiterate this. We see everything. We may not respond right away. We try to get to it. It might take us a few weeks because we do get overwhelmed. But if you've sent it, we've seen it. I promise. Yeah. We'll get to you. I swear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm bad at texting my friends in real life back. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and please be sure to rate this podcast wherever you listen, whatever platform, rate this podcast, especially if you're feeling like rating it five stars. But, you know, I'm not going to judge you, uh, even though you're judging (laughs) us. So please be sure to rate our podcast. It really does help our listenership grow and continue sharing this with your friends. As I say every single week, the bigger this podcast gets and the more people become on board of the Tay Learning family, the more accountable we're held to getting the episodes out on time and the more fun it is for us to share our passion project with other passionate people. Absolutely. And for this week, my name is Olivia. And my name is Danny. We'll catch you next week. Bye. I didn't cry on my 21st, okay? That was the solar eclipse. I know a lot of people who did too. (laughs) If my birthday had not been quite literally overshadowed, you know, by the moon, um, and I know it's awful, um, then I probably would have cried. Take it back. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. But I won't take back this joke. It was my 21st. Both me and the earth blacked out that day. (laughs) Bad. So bad. Okay, okay. We're back. We're back. We're back.